let's pray together. Oh, our gracious God, we pause in your presence. Lord, as we look at these beautiful bouquets that we've created together, Lord, we give thanks today. We give thanks for each person that's represented by a flower in that bouquet. Lord, you know the stories. You know those that we love so dearly, those that we are remembering this day. God, we pray that you would strengthen those memories in our hearts. Lord, that you would meet us in our grief. That you would meet us in our joy as we give thanks for those people and the way that they touched our lives. Lord, we're so grateful for the way that you love us, for the way that you walk with us and strengthen us. We're so, so grateful, God, for the good news of the resurrection, that death is not the end of the story. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the way that you love us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Friends, it's so good to be with you on this Memorial Day weekend, especially as we remember those that we love. Uh, so grateful for these beautiful flowers. Isn't that an incredible picture for us to look at together today? Perhaps uh, this is a weekend when you have some traditions of your own, uh, maybe some graveside visits or times of sharing memories of those that you love. Uh, you know, we think about these gestures of meaning that we have, just like these bouquets that we create. And when we do that, it's a statement that we make as we think about these ones that we love and we say, you are not forgotten. And that's meaningful for us to proclaim that. You are not forgotten. It's a good word on this Memorial Day weekend. And friends, I wonder if at a moment like this, I wonder if not only do we find ourselves saying, you are not forgotten, I wonder if there is a whisper from heaven to our hearts as our God looks at each of us and assures us, you are not forgotten. Today, I'd like for us to think about that as we dive into the scripture together. I wonder, have you ever felt forgotten? The other night, we were sitting down for dinner. Uh, Dan and I have four kids, and you can imagine the, the moments right before we're to sit down and eat. There's a lot to do. The kitchen's bustling. Dan is the cook in our family. Thank you, God, for that. Uh, Dan is the cook in our family, and as he gets everything ready, you know, I'm there helping to get all the plates, and, you know, everybody wants something a little bit different on their plate, so we're getting it dished up in the plates at the right seat, and who wants which drink, and do we have the napkins and the silverware, and all the things. So the other night, we sat down for dinner. We had just gotten all all the bustle of getting everything on the table. We said our prayer as we normally do, and we picked up our forks to start to eat. Now, we have this rectangular table, and I sit kind of on one side at the end, and my son Noah, who's eight, sits kind of the farthest from me on the other side opposite corner. And I have this nice centerpiece. I think it's nice. I don't know about the rest of them. But we have this centerpiece on the table, but it blocks my view of uh, the people's plates across from me. So we picked up our forks starting to eat, and Noah says, Mom, I said, Noah, what's up? He said, do I get food? 
And I looked over, and we forgot his plate. <laughs> it was sitting on the kitchen counter. And Noah was just sitting there at dinner time going, what? 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 Why don't I have a meal in front of me? And uh, he has reminded us of that moment uh, sev several times since then. Uh, he won't let us live that down. But, you know, no one wants to feel forgotten, right? But the truth is, I think we all have moments in our lives when we might feel overlooked or forgotten. The world moves on. We've been left in the dust. Life hasn't gone as we planned. We feel like God has forgotten us. Perhaps that's part of your own story. You think about things that you've experienced in your life, a, a tragic loss or a dream that's been dashed. Or frustrated expectations. Any number of things that, that you would say, this is not how I intended the story of my life to unfold. And maybe in moments when you think about that, perhaps you wonder if God has forgotten all about you. After all, sometimes we tell ourselves, if God cared about me, surely this never would have happened. Well, today we're going to take a look at a story in the Old Testament, kind of a obscure story that you may not know of someone who was long forgotten. The text is in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we'll get there in a few minutes. But before we do, I'd like to just review for a moment who the characters are in the story that we'll be looking at today. The first one you need to know is is Saul, King Saul. Uh, Saul was the first king of Israel. You may know him well from the Old Testament. Um, and, and what we need to know about King Saul is that his disobedience caused God to reject him as king. You can read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul, first king of Israel. Second, his son is Jonathan. Uh, this is his son, so of course an heir to the throne right, uh, of royal blood. So we have Saul and Jonathan. And then Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Add that to the baby name list, right? I've not heard that one very often. Mephibosheth. Say it with me. Mephibosheth. Very good. So he is uh, Jonathan's son, also royal blood. So he would be an heir to the throne. Uh, sometimes, you know, I wonder if there are nicknames in the Bible. You know, I'm thinking Fib would be a good nickname for Mephibosheth. So sometimes I just say Fib because it's kind of a mouthful. A uh, couple of other people that we find in the text today. We have uh, Ziba, who's a servant of Saul's household. Uh, Ziba. Uh, you know, if they have nicknames, he could be Zib. And then you'd have Zib and Fib right? That'd be kind of good. I like that. Zib and Fib. I don't know. Uh, so Ziba, who's a servant of Saul's household, and then who you may know, uh, a famous person in the Old Testament, David, who when we first meet him is a shepherd boy, who is to everyone's shock and surprise, anointed to be the next king of Israel. After Saul has been rejected king, David is to be the next king of Israel. And his best friend is Jonathan. Uh, and this friendship is a famous one in the Old Testament. 
Uh, so today, we're going to be looking at the story of Mephibosheth. You may not know much about him. And we first read about him, learn about him when he is five years old. 2 Samuel chapter 4 tells the story. When Mephibosheth was five years old, uh, he was there at the palace along with other servants and people in the household. Saul was away uh, in battle. Jonathan was away in battle at war. And news came back to the palace. The horrible, horrible news that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in the battle of Jezreel. They had been killed by the Philistines. And in that moment, you can only imagine for all that were there in the palace, this was a moment of panic. It was a moment of panic because all who were there in the palace would have thought, this is horrible news and we are next. Because this is what would happen. The Philistines who had killed Saul and Jonathan would likely come back to the palace and wipe out anyone who was left. But if it wasn't the Philistines, they thought they would also be in danger from David because David was to be anointed or was anointed as the next king. So David and his men might come and wipe out anyone who was left. So the logical thing for anyone who was there at the palace when they heard this news, it, the, the logical thing was run for your lives. This is a moment of total panic. And so the text tells us that Mephibosheth, who's five years old, was picked up by his nurse who began to frantically run. But she tripped and she dropped him and it broke both of his ankles. Can you imagine at age five going through a moment like that, the, the trauma and injury that he experienced? And the text tells us that his, his ankles never healed properly, and he never walked again. This was a life-changing injury for him at age five. Those who escaped from the palace went to Lodabar, and they hid Mephibosheth's identity, right? You can imagine. We're running for our lives. We don't want to be killed next, and so we are going to hide, and we're going to hide this uh, identity of Mephibosheth who is in line for the throne. And that means denying this young boy the, the kind of royal life that he should have had. Now, we don't know much about Mephibosheth's growing up years, but we can imagine. We know that communities that were exiled, that were displaced, often told stories because it was a way of maintaining their identity. And can you imagine the kinds of stories that were probably told to Mephibosheth? You were born of, of royal blood, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. The throne would have been yours someday, Mephibosheth. If only, if only. Can you imagine the kinds of stories that would have shaped his life? No doubt in the stories that were told to Mephibosheth, David was the villain and the scapegoat. David was the reason that his, that his father and his grandfather were killed by the Philistines. David was the reason that they had to run. And then the horrible accident happened that changed his life with this crippling disability. David was the reason that now they had to hide. Mephibosheth was no doubt shaped by stories. 
And by this habit of looking for someone to blame and looking for the cause of misery outside of himself. I think that for Mephibosheth, the cruel world had the face of David. Some would say that Mephibosheth's name, his very name, was the result of his plight. Uh, elsewhere, we find his name listed differently. In, in 1 Chronicles 9.40, it calls him Maribel. Now, his plight probably gave, gained him the name Mephibosheth. That means seething dishonor. That's a rough thing to be spoken over your life. Well, many years passed. We don't know exactly how many years, but we know that David has become king. He has settled into life in the palace. Things are going well. And then the text tells us that David remembers a long-ago promise that he made to his best friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan made a request of David, and David swore to keep it. We find this in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 20, beginning at verse 14. It'll be on the screen for you as well. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And then at verse 42, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So here uh, in this passage that uh, if, you, if you read all of 1 Samuel chapter 20, it tells us a lot about David and Jonathan together and this covenant that was made between them. And we think about David now on the throne and Jonathan is, is dead. David has all the reason in the world to forget the covenant, this covenant that he made long ago in his youth. He could have said to himself, well, this is voided after Saul's evil actions towards me. There's no obligation that I have to Saul's family. Or he might have told himself he was too busy to worry about it. And there's probably no one left in Jonathan's family anyway. And Jonathan, of course, is dead. But to David, the covenant matters. A covenant is a solemn agreement with binding force. So David remembers this covenant with Jonathan, and he decides to investigate. So now we come to our text in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let's look at this story together. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, 
son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. Let's pause here for a moment. Now, we can only imagine the anxiety of Mephibosheth at a moment like this. When he is literally brought before the king, remember, he can't walk himself. So he's figuratively and physically at the mercy of the king. And here he comes knowing that he is a rightful heir to the throne who had been hidden away in a foreign land. So he comes approaching what he thinks is the evil King David, who is the cause of his adversity and his plight in life, who, know, who uh, most likely wants to kill him. So here Mephibosheth goes before the king, verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. At your service. I think those are loaded words for him. I wonder if he thought, at your service, here I am for you to execute me. I wonder what he thought as he stood there. Looking at David, the, the face of his enemy, the cause of his suffering, the reason that he had been forgotten and abandoned in his life. And never, I think, in his wildest dreams would have Mephibosheth ever imagined that he was there to encounter love. Verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? We find here uh, the tension in the text. The tension because David is operating as if he's bound to a covenant. But Mephibosheth is living as if there isn't a covenant. And so David is trying to introduce to Fib this reality. Don't be afraid, he says. Those words, those words found so often in scripture. Or sometimes it says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Fear not. This reassurance of care and, and attention and invitation from heaven itself. Do not be afraid. And in this case, uttered by David, who stands in this moment as a reflection of God himself. And the way that God loves us with this generous and pursuing love. No doubt, Mephibosheth is shocked, to say the least. Really? Is this a prank? What's going on here? He must have thought. And so that's when he asks that question in verse 8. What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And for him to, to call himself a dead dog, this is really strong language. Because culturally, a dog is nothing. Now, this is very different, okay, than it is for us and our beloved and cherished pet fluffy, right? This is a very different kind of thing in this context, right? A dog is unclean. It's associated with disgusting things. It represents insignificance. 
and contempt and humiliation. And not just a dog, but a dead dog, he says. This is a statement of how Mephibosheth sees himself and how he expects David to treat him. So David responds as if he, he's trying to say, I'm not kidding. Let me prove it to you. Verse 9. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. See, David wants Fib to know that he's serious about what, how he cares about him and what he's offering in this moment. So he gives him land. This is wealth. He gives him servants, 36 servants. Uh, and he says, you will always eat at the king's table. Did you notice that refrain? It was in verse 7 and 10 and 11 and 13. That's how this passage ends, that Mephibosheth always ate at David's table, like one of his sons. The king's table, uh, this was so significant. It is rich with meaning. It means honor. Of course, the king's table has great significance. It means kinship. This is like adoption. Uh, this is like ownership and belonging. This is fellowship. That when you sit at the table together, you know one another. You're sharing life with one another. And it's life and, and sustenance there at the king's table. David is proclaiming to him, you are not forgotten. You belong. You are loved and you are cared for. My friends, when we read this story of Mephibosheth, who thought he was long abandoned and forgotten, I think that this is an incredible picture for us of the kind of love that our God has for us. Because I think the truth is, all of us can relate with Mephibosheth at some level. His story is all of our stories. Because I know for every one of us, we all have parts of our own stories that did not unfold the way that we hoped. None of us here are, are free from loss or tragedy, pain, heartache. We all have hard roads to walk. Every one of us has been broken and scarred by life. And we carry baggage of pain and injustice. You know, we think about that moment when Mephibosheth stood before King David with that loaded question, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? A declaration of his 
his own worthlessness and abandonment and the way he felt discarded. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. That just as Fib stood there before David with this seething accusation. Friends, I think there are times in our lives when we find ourselves standing before God and looking to heaven with a similar notion. And we want to know, where have you been? And why did this happen? Did you forget all about me? And in that moment, as Fib and David stood looking at one another in this moment of deep emotion, when, when no doubt the accusation that came out of Fib's life and heart was one who was so upset in the emotion of that moment, and never would he have dreamed that it was a love encounter, that David was there with a message of love and belonging to speak over his life. And friends, I wonder for you, when you think about your story, you think about those places when you look to heaven and you say, where were you, God? And I wonder if heaven has a whisper for your heart today as heaven says, do not be afraid. I see you. I love you. You are not forgotten. And you belong. See, I think that David stands in this moment as a representative of God himself because this is the character of our God and how he loves. This is our God. He moves towards you. He calls you by name, and he invites you to his table. You know, every time we take communion together, we are reminded of that. These elements, that Jesus took these elements and, and he held them and he said, this is the new covenant. Remember, covenant in my blood, which is for you. Just as David had a covenant with Jonathan, our God has a covenant with us. This is his love. This is the good news of Jesus that changes everything. It changes the narrative because that means we are not forgotten or abandoned, but we have this God who moves towards us in our pain and in our suffering, who took on suffering himself, who chose that to be crucified and to die and to be buried in a tomb and then to conquer even death by rising again in three days. Friends, this is the pursuing love of God. This is his love for us. We are not abandoned. He is caring for us and providing for us. My friend, I, I don't know where you find yourself today, but I know that we all have big things going on. And so today, in whatever heaviness you might feel and things that you are walking through, or perhaps uh, loss that you are remembering this weekend, I want to remind you that you are invited by God himself. You are invited to the table of the king, and he whispers to you, do not be afraid. I love you, and I will provide for your every need. My friends, this Memorial Day weekend, rest in his provision 
rest in his love. You are not forgotten. Will you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, we're so grateful for the way that you love us, for the way that you pursue us and care for us. God, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters today, those in the room and those watching online. God, I pray that, that this day would be a profound encounter with you, a love encounter, that we would know that we are not forgotten. We thank you, God, that you are the God who heals and redeems and restores, even in the most painful places of our lives. And so we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would work for good, that you would do your good healing work in our lives. Lord, we're so grateful for the way that you love us and walk with us. And we pause in your presence today to say, we trust you, Lord. We trust you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, and together we say, amen.